0: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
3: As we welcome you along to the uh, programme, and of course you can always email the programme at corktoday at c103.ie. Now we are on the programme uh, in a little while this morning, uh, just trying to get as much information as we can about this proposal to erect modular homes at a site in Mallow this was a story that broke while we were on air yesterday uh, we heard about a protest that was going on at the site and what came across very strongly yesterday from the local residents in the area was the people just didn't know what was happening they didn't. They weren't aware that this site had been selected and it was only when the heavy machinery rolled in that people started to say what's going on here because there was no planning permission uh, notices there you no know, planning signs that gone up, and you know, and I think that's where we need to get to. We need to get to the bottom of that and just give the information to the people so that the people living there know exactly what is going on. Because you know, I firmly believe that knowledge is power, and if people are kept informed, then people can make decisions as to how they feel or don't feel about it. Now, we did get on immediately to the OPW yesterday to find out what was going on at Carrakeel and they did come back to us. Now it's a long statement, so I'm not going to read all of the statement uh, to you, but basically they can confirmed. Uh, firstly, they confirmed that they haven't erected any modular homes at the site near uh, Cara Keel and, and I don't know when we put our question to them. Did they think that we already thought that the modular homes were gone in? But anyway, they, they confirmed no no site has, no modular home has gone up there. No, we already knew that and they then explained that it is the OPW is is responsible for these modular homes because they've been tasked by the government to develop these modular homes and it is to accommodate Ukrainian uh, refugees. So they got on to all of the local authorities around the country and said, give us an example of a site that you think in your area we could place some of these modular homes. And obviously the site of Carrakeel was put forward by uh, Cork County Council. According to Councillor John Paul O'Shea yesterday, there's also a site that's been identified in West Cork. And I don't know if it's just two sites were put forward by the Council or not. Anyway, the OPW say that the site in Mallow is one of a number around the country under assessment at the moment for suitability and a meeting has been arranged by the Department of Children, Equity, Disability, Integration and Youth for tomorrow Friday to engage with the locally elected representatives. There will be input from the OPW on the technical aspects of the programme and how the sites are to be uh, developed. Now we are hearing this morning that they're there could be some kind of problem with the site and if that is some technical problem I don't know I'm assuming we're not going to know if there are problems with the site until that meeting takes place tomorrow with the councillor so we may not have uh, an an actual update on that but they do say the OPW do say because some of the local residents were saying oh those porter cabins gone in they're going to start erecting those modular homes and nobody knows anything about them they say that the reason for the porter cabins they're used by the contractor uh, during further detailed site investigation work so they're still at site investigation works they're still doing that And the works include ground investigation and work to establish the location of existing services. So it's still very much at a planning uh, stage. It's certainly reading that is not a fait accompli. So as I say we are endeavouring to try to get as much information as we can particularly for the people who contacted us yesterday and I know we had a reporter out of the protest uh, yesterday and trying to raise some of the fears of some of the local people. But as soon as we mentioned modular homes we got some commentary in from uh, listeners including this email which kind of sums up what a number of People who contacted us yesterday about modular homes had to say, Patricia, I listened to the repeat of your programme. Yesterday, you were debating modular homes for Ukrainian citizens and the possibility that they might be erected in Mallow. Well, I think it's about time the truth was told. I am so upset that we as Irish citizens cannot get planning for these same buildings. And by the way, I'm one of those. I wanted to downsize and but I can't erect a log cabin as I won't get planning permission. But in my local town, a log cabin, similar to the one that I wanted to build, was built on a halting site. When I inquired, I was told they don't need planning permission. Obviously, it was erected by the council. So I then went on to research modular homes for myself again I can't get planning to build one. I'm not Ukrainian. Seriously, that's discrimination. But who seems to care? I spent my whole life nursing. By the way, what I have to build now, I can't complete as it will cost €100,000 more than a modular home please don't call out my name as I have enough stress and there was a couple of other people similar to that including Dermot uh, who said he also was trying to place a modular home there was land kind of a side garden at his parents house and he wanted to put in one of these modular homes but when he checked with the planning department he was uh, turned down so people are quite annoyed about that that the council don't seem to or the OPW don't need to go for planning Uh, but yet if you or I or anybody else wants to erect one of these modular homes, we will need uh, planning. And then, on the whole issue of people coming into this country either as refugees or uh, Uh, migrants, be they people who are fleeing for their lives, are economic migrants. A listener says, Patricia, millions of people emigrated to the US of A, Canada and Australia over the troubled times in Ireland. There are still many of our younger generation leaving for a better lifestyle in many parts of the world. With further losses of the Irish population, surely it's time that we welcomed all of these people that want to settle in Ireland. They need to be processed faster and given the opportunity to make a useful contribution in this country and and i think you make one really valid point they need to be processed faster that's the huge huge problem that we have at the moment with this is not now to do with ukrainians because obviously ukrainians are fleeing war they're coming here for a very different uh, reason but the people who are here for looking for international protection the asylum seekers as, as we refer to them uh, as it can take up to two years for the first initial assessment and then it can go to appeal that whole process just needs to be speeded up i don't know i don't have the answers as to how you speed it up does it mean taking people from different departments and seconding them Uh, to work with the Department of Foreign Affairs and go through the paperwork. And we also need to seriously look at people who arrive undocumented, those who lose their passports somehow between boarding a plane and then getting off the plane. All of that seriously needs to be uh, looked at. So I think, therefore, when people arrive in this country, people know who they are. The, the authorities know who their backgrounds are because it's when people arrive undocumented that's what makes others nervous You because people are thinking well why are they arriving what are they trying to hide if they're arriving with no uh, documentation so all of that there's a lot of other issues that need to be addressed but certainly the process for people seeking asylum in this country at 100% needs to be speeded up. Uh, so thank you for all that commentary that's been coming in uh, over the last uh, 24 hours. There's a text in saying hi Patricia this message finds you well, it does indeed. There's no water in Drina in West Cork this morning. I've checked the Irish way. We- Irish Water website to see if there's anything on, but nothing. Tried to contact Irish Water, but all to no avail. Could you, or John Paul, see what the story is? Please, thanking you from Adrina, listener, and John Paul. Quick as a flash, all over it, and he tells me this is from the, uh, Ishka and Irish Water repairs to a burst water main uh, may cause supply disruptions in the wider Drina area today. Now the good news is that they are working on the break this morning and it's hoped water will be fully restored uh, but not fully restored until this evening after 5pm. They can give us no no more accurate timeline than that but just for anybody in the Drina area if you're switching on the tap and there's no water that's the reason for it. It was a burst Uh, water main that happened obviously overnight or earlier this morning but they are working to uh, restore it and just to update you on a story we spoke about earlier in the week and this is to do with the GP practice in Coachford and the fact that the doctor there received a letter from McCroom Credit Union who owned the building uh, to give six months notice that they'd have to, uh, to leave uh, and it co- obviously it's caused consternation in the Coachford uh, area and particularly for the GP practice as well because a lot of people are saying it isn't as easy to find a suitable premises that could be used for a GP practice because it needs parking and you know wheelchair accessibility etc and a lot of disappointment in the area and people were also saying you know, six months notice is a very short notice to give to the Coachford family uh, practice. Now we had been liaising with the McCroom Credit Union and they were pointing out to us you know, the reason for it It was to, to do uh, with something that's contained in the Credit Union Act it actually precludes them from using the premises from any other purpose other than conducting uh, credit Union business. Anyway, we've had a statement in from McCroom Credit Union to say, having clarified the matter further, the Board of Directors of McCroom Credit Union are now in a position to offer a longer notice period to Dr. Kingston regarding the termination of the lease agreement in respect of the Coachford Credit Union office. This will allow Dr. Kingston more time to find a suitable alternative premises for her GP practice and will also help to maintain the provision of a GP service in Coachford and the surrounding uh, community. The board of McCroom Credit Union have made this decision for operational reasons as they plan for the continuation and expansion of credit union services for its members in Coachford. McCroom Credit Union have been in communication with Dr Kingston regarding the longer notice period and will continue to work with her in resolving this matter to everyone's satisfaction. Okay, so that I think is a bit of good news. It still means that the GP practice has to move out of the building that they seem to be quite happy in at the moment. But at least there isn't this six months timeline hanging over their head. Uh, So she's been given a longer notice uh, period. And hopefully, sooner rather than later, a suitable premises will be found in Coachfort. And thank you to McCroom Credit Union for that.
4: This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Today at C103.ie Now,
3: yesterday, as we heard from some people who were protesting in Mallow over a proposal to build modular homes, on a site in the Karakil area of the town for Ukrainian refugees. Local residents are annoyed that they were not informed about the proposals and others spoke about people from the area who are currently in need of housing. To try to find out what is going on, I'm joined by Fianna Gael Councillor Tony uh, O'Shea who's been sharing information on his social media account. Good morning to you, Tony.
5: Good morning
3: and, and you're welcome. And I suppose firstly well done and I can see a number of texts coming in and, and, and actually saying well done to Councillor Tony O'Shea for trying to get information out to people because I think that's the key. I think people are just are looking for information. So I suppose take me back and tell me how was this site identified and when was it identified?
5: I suppose Patricia the first elected representative heard of this was just before Christmas. We got an email saying that they had received uh notification from the OPW for the local authority to identify a site in Mallow. Um we were told after Christmas that uh, they had identified a site in Karaquil and the only other information we got in this uh, as elected representatives position was uh, we were scheduled to have a meeting um, last Monday actually but uh, we had a full council meeting and a lot of the public representatives was rushed and felt it was rushed, so we put it off till this Friday. It's an online meeting. Um, uh, So we were in attendance at the full council meeting, Patricia, and my phone lit up. <laughs> uh, I was getting calls and texts and saying that what's happening in the site in and uh, those machines, they're working there today, clearing the site.
3: And as so councillors, it- were you expecting to have what is tomorrow's meeting were you expecting to have that first before any work begun on the site?
5: Absolutely Patricia I mean like it's communication is key to any project and to anything that goes on anywhere you must have communication with the people and the people have to buy into Patricia otherwise and, or, 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 otherwise Patricia like we have started this whole process wrong this whole process has been started wrong as far as I know who's, who we're meeting with on tomorrow morning or who who's on the team's meeting tomorrow morning is members of the OPW, and we were supposed to get a briefing on the type of modular home.
3: And do you, and do we know at this stage is the site suitable or not? We're told that there they are. What they're doing at the moment is site investigation works.
5: Yes, we have been told that the uh, OPW had identified uh, the site at Carrickheel. And It was only yesterday evening I received a phone call saying that uh, uh, members of the public were approached by uh, CISC people, CISC are the contractors that are up there, as far as I know, Patricia. And they were told that works were no longer going ahead, that the site was deemed unsuitable. Now, that was coming from a member on the protest line uh, yesterday evening. I got a phone call about half past five, uh, Patricia. Other than that, that's as much as I know.
3: So you, so you won't know, you you can't get that confirmed, obviously, until this meeting tomorrow with the OPW?
5: That's correct. We have a meeting scheduled online meeting at half 11 tomorrow morning, Patricia. Okay. I have told uh, everyone, I've communicated with a lot of people uh, via messages, via phone call, on my social media page. And I told them what I know, Patricia, I don't know any more than what I've posted up on my social media page and what I've communicated to the people personally.
3: Is the land owned by Cork County Council? Yes. What, what was the plan for that site?
5: That site has been idle for donkey's years, Patricia. I presume it would be going towards social housing in time. Um, we haven't, uh, it's never been brought before us at any council meeting. I think that council have been asked to identify a few sites. I'm not sure what other sites were put forward to the OPW for recommendation for major um, homes for UK names. Um. But look, all I can say, Patricia, is that's as much as I know, that's as much as any public I know,
3: public I know. And, and I know on the statement that we got from the Office of uh, Public Works, and they're the ones being tasked by the government to develop these modular homes for uh, Ukrainian refugees, it's 700 in total. I think is the figure I uh, I read, uh, 700 units and they're going to be dispersed uh, all over the country. Because I think the figure that was mentioned, if the site does go ahead, is 34 houses. Is that is that the number you've heard as well? I've
5: actually had nothing definite, but nothing. I've had okay. three figures. I've had 30 houses, I've had 50 houses and I've had 54 houses.
3: OK, that, OK.
5: That's what I've had, Patricia. Oh, no until after our briefing tomorrow morning, Patricia, okay. to the full extent of what's going on.
3: And if if these modular homes go ahead, is it 100% guaranteed that it is going to be Ukrainian refugees? This,
5: these are the questions I'll have to ask tomorrow, Patricia.
6: OK. Um,
5: we all know what's being put out there on social media, social media with City West and, and whatever, if you expect. And this is what the people's concerns are. And bottom line, Patricia, and I'll say it again, Communication. This has been rolled out wrong by the OPW. By it, we have to communicate with the people for the people to buy into something. So did
3: That's the, what we sh- did the OPW Tony jump the gun and move into that site on Monday?
5: I think they did, Patricia. I mean, like we're only being briefed on this Friday. So why did they put the cat before the hat? If we got briefed on this Friday, Patricia, and the people should have been left no whether it was a lease to trap or by ourselves. Like, we, bottom line, you need to get the people to buy into something. And, and like, this is, this is something that maybe people don't want in the area. It's it's, it's a problematic area anyway, particularly with traffic and congestion and schools. And we've had lo- lots of representation from people up there. I personally have anyway um, about traffic problems and this and that. So, like, we need It's been rolled out too fast entirely. Yeah. I mean,
3: we should have had... And the other, the the frustration that I really picked up uh, yesterday, Tony, was from people who have been on the council's housing waiting list in the Mallow area for many, many years. I mean, I heard of people 10 years on the waiting list. I think there was one woman I heard of 14 years on uh, a waiting list. It's very hard for them to understand why a family could be waiting so long to be offered a council house and then suddenly these modular homes can go up in very they are rapid builds they get you know very quickly they yes. are erected and and nobody is taken from ukrainian refugees who need housing but there is that sense of well you know what about my family my family needs housing i mean as a councillor you obviously can understand that
5: Absolutely, Patricia, and I think today it's not right to have someone on a housing waiting list for 10 or 12 years. I'll be the first to admit we need more social housing. We have the sites. We're after identifying one now for modular housing. Why, can't that, why couldn't that have been identified or why couldn't we have started social housing on that site in previous years gone by? Absolutely, we need more social housing. There's a the shortage of houses across the whole uh Country at, at the minister, uh, Patricia, and like we need to start another social housing site. We have started an affordable housing site in Tranbor. I do know yesterday that we are we are producing houses, Patricia, but not enough.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that's that. nationwide. That isn't that isn't it just is. in, in, in the Mallow area. By, by the way, Tony, has the council ever considered modular homes for people on the housing waiting list? Have you built any modular mm. homes?
5: No, not to my knowledge, Patricia, never. Seven. To my knowledge, we yeah. have never uh, built modular homes anywhere.
3: And, and I've seen, I, I don't have you ever been in one of these modular homes?
5: No, I'll oh, be honest. I've, 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 I've seen pictures of them, Patricia, and that's about it.
3: I've seen videos, they look... They look every bit like, you know, like a normal house. It would be very hard to even tell the difference. Uh, I mean, they're they're, they they're fabulous. I think they've got like something like a fifty year lifespan that you would even think in the short term. Uh, people, I mean, particularly people that are trying to raise families inside in a hotel room, I take it they take the hand and all off you to move into to a modular home.
5: Absolutely, yeah. And look, we have I, I have well, I have a log cabin outside beside me over the road, Patricia, and I was inside a two years back and it's absolutely fab. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with them, and maybe maybe it is an option. Maybe the county council, then maybe the whole country should be looking at maybe going forward
3: to ease the, the, the crisis. Well, yeah, well, the get, whole get us out of the hole we're in at the moment, exactly. and then the the other the, the one just one other final point, Tony. That a lot of commentary in on it with the modular homes. When the OPW it will erect if these modular homes go ahead, they don't need planning permission. But a number of listeners say have tried to erect a modular home or one of those log cabins on, like, parents' lands or even on their own land and they've been turned down for planning. People saying, yes. you know, one law for us, one law for, for the council.
5: Yeah, and I do know legislation was passed in, in, uh, in Dublin and going back maybe last September, October uh, to do away with planning permission for the modular homes for Ukrainians. It, it was just put aside. But I do know that if we, it, it's, a very, it's a very hard thing to get um, planning permission to build on your own lens for a modular home or a log cabin. It's all down to the country development plan and it must have been done with the site. You know, there's a whole lot of red tape and which Patricia.
3: Yeah, but it's it, that, that again is another bitter pill to swallow for people who've been turned down and suddenly they're, they're seeing that the OPW through the council are, are erecting these homes. And just one very, very final question. Who, if these modular homes go ahead... Who's paying for that? Is it coming out of council funding or is it the OPW?
5: No, I, I would be thinking it's the same first but uh, as funding the hotels for the Ukrainians when it has to go through. Okay, so it's not, it, won't,
3: it's yeah, it, won't, it won't affect council funding. Okay. No. All right, no. okay, listen, Tony, really appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk to us uh, today. I don't know if we're going to be still on air tomorrow. I don't know how long that meeting is going to go on. Uh, yeah. But if, if you get out before one o'clock tomorrow, we certainly would love to chat with you if you can update us in any way. Uh, and in the meantime, people can keep an eye on your social media because I, I know you're trying to keep people updated that way.
5: Exactly, Patricia. And if I am out before one, I'll give uh, the radio station
3: a Please do. Please do. Appreciate that, Tony. Thanks a million. Thanks Thank you, a Bye bye. Uh, that is uh, Fianna Gale, uh, Councillor for North Cork. That is Tony O'Shea. Now, for the first time ever, a memory cafe is to open in West Cork and it'll be available to anybody affected by dementia to chat about the Bantry Memory Cafe, which will take place next Wednesday, 1st of February. Actually, St. in Bridget's Day. Uh, it'll be held in the library in the Maritime Hotel. I'm joined by uh, Teresa Bohan, who is a dementia nurse specialist. Good morning to you, Theresa. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, so much for taking time out to talk to us. I suppose start at the beginning and just describe uh, to people what happens at a memory cafe.
7: So what a memory cafe is it's um, it's a safe welcoming um, environment that supports people who are living with dementia, their families, their carers and it's um, an opportunity for them to meet other people. Um, to share their experiences and to get more information uh, about dementia and what supports are available for them. You'll come along um, to the Maritime and we'll have sit-downs, all very informal. We'll have a cup of tea and a scone, a general chat with other people. Um, there'll be um, healthcare professionals, myself will be there. We have Vanessa Bradbury, the dementia advisor from the Alzheimer's Society. We're going to have a speaker, um, a physiotherapist from... Um, the Bantry Primary Care Centre who will lead us through with gentle exercises that we can do when we go home. So it's a very kind of informal setting but um, hopefully it will provide a support for people who are out there with cognitive and dementia issues. We also like to in, like invite their carers, families, friends, who maybe um, need to, who would like to come along to get more information.
3: Yeah, I creating. mean, it's like it's, it's informative, but there's a, a social as- yes. aspect uh, to it, Teresa. Yes, it's and, and I'm assuming for people who either have dementia or the carers of people, you know, looking after somebody with dementia, they're, they're at times, depending on where the person is, it's not always possible to, to go to a social event. Yes.
7: That's true, and sometimes people with dementia and their families do isolate themselves. They take a step back. but In the Memory Café, people that are coming to this are kind from of similar background and the healthcare professions, like we have huge awareness of this group of people. So, like, you know, they're in a safe, secure in, environment. You know, it's, it's fun. You can get more information about what you want to and it's kind of a break from your usual normal routine of the mm. day just to drop in um, you know what we're hoping to be, do with this is that we'll be late who comes on the day if they uh, we're going to send out or um, have a questionnaire and what pe- what the people who attend what they would like to do you know do they want speakers on various topics or do they want music or activities or exercises Or, you know, do they want speakers in talking about various aspects of supports that are out there? So, like, it will be kind of led by the people who come what they want from this.
3: Yeah. And I, and I really feel the one big plus to the memory cafe is it's that support network yes. for the, the families and the friends and the carers. Because as you say, families living with somebody with dementia can become very isolated yes. and at times can feel that they're the only ones going through it. So I think that support is important, isn't it? For t- Yeah,
7: like. You know, it's support, and you learn from other people's experiences. You know, and you um, networking with as well. You know, you may meet at the memory cafe, but you can go on afterwards. You know that you can ring a person. You know, friendships hopefully will um, emerge from this. Yeah. You know yeah. that you know you might decide there you meet up. You know yourself and your person living with dementia, and the carer and meet up with each other after this you know it's friendships and support and for the community of West Cork as well to be aware that know that there is somewhere in West Cork that they can go if they want an informal setting if they want to get more information they would like to meet other people um like who are living with dementia or cognitive issues like that there is somewhere to go in an informal aspect and it will hopefully we'll have a bit of fun as well as yeah. this
3: yeah, it isn't it isn't all serious. It's it's about having fun. There is there's, there's a number of these cafes, isn't there? Operating around the country, there is around
7: the country, but unfortunately here in West Cork, there's none. Yeah, this um, is the like first. Like around Cork City, you would have one recently opened in Ballincollig at Carrigaline. There's one in North Cork, um, Canturk and in Y'all. So like I'm delighted this is um setting up because this is as great for people living in the West Cork area. Like it's all very well say you go to but That's a good distance yeah, away. Yeah, absolutely. So, like Bantry um is kind of central. Like I'd be hoping in years to come that every big town in West Cork would have something set up similar to this would be my hope for the future. Would uh, look at this as a great start um, so hopefully going forward this will happen.
3: And there's a lot of people involved isn't there in, in organising it and, and getting it off the ground?
7: There is. Uh, I'm very thankful to uh, the Bantry Age Friendly Dementia subgroup there had the initial thought to set this up. We have the Family Carers and Older Persons Initiative at Local Link.
6: The Alzheimer's
7: Society are involved. Myself, the Dementia North here in Bantry Hospital um, physiotherapist from the primary care centre and um community and the Cox community work department. Great. So like there's a lot involved with this. There's a bit of work gone into it where we were going with this, but hopefully now um on Wednesday um, we'll 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 have achieved what we're aiming to do. And
3: uh, Teresa is is dementia on the increase? Well
7: you see our population is aging. Yeah. So uh, dementia um as we age, you have a higher risk of developing dementia. So um, we have an ageing society, especially here in West Cork. I also think it's probably been identified earlier as well, which is probably um, pulling into the numbers. But like Age is the biggest risk factor to developing dementia, and here in West Cork we would have an older age profile. So that's probably why we are seeing more of dementia here here in West Cork and I suppose in Ireland in well, general we have, and yeah.
3: across the world. We're, we're so. constantly hearing about our aging population mm. and it's fantastic that people are, are living longer and, and we welcome that but of course, as you say, with that will come an increase in the number of people who will be diagnosed with yeah. T- and there's so many different types of dementia, isn't there? I mean, I, I think everybody thinks of Alzheimer's, mm, uh, but right. I, I know Kevin Quaid, who suffers from a Lewy body, who's yeah. b- behind the Dementia Cafe in uh, Cantorch. I mean, that was something I'd never heard of before Kevin yes. started talking about it. Yes. So there's so many different there types is. of dementia. Yeah,
7: now the Alzheimer's disease would be the one most common. Um, I say about sixty percent, but you'll also have your vascular dementias. And you can have a type of mixed dementia which would include vascular and Alzheimer's. The dementia, the Lewy body dementia as well, um, which, and I must admit, I met Kevin Quaid at the dementia conference in Dublin. Like, I, he's an excellent presentator, you know. He's incredible. He's a great advocate yeah. for um, yeah. his, for, um, uh, for dementia. So, yes, there is, you don't, there is, like, the dementia is the umbrella term, but you have different types. Of dementia coming under that as well. So, um, you know, even like say, people with neurological diseases, a lot of them towards the end of their disease can have a type of dementia as well. So, yes, you're you right. Do you,
3: do you think we're getting better at diagnosing it as well?
7: I think we are. Uh, I think the, uh, now there's a lot more to be done, but we are definitely, and especially with this Mis- memory cafe, which will be good for the Westcock area, it's the increased awareness that dementia is out there, and I'm hopeful by the cafe that people who would have concerns and I am also and we are reaching out to this group who feel they may have memory issues or family feel their loved one has memory issues might come along as well and get more information and supports, and be kind of signposted towards uh, where they need to go regarding memory that's issues.
3: A, that's a great idea. You
7: that's know like you don't like um You know, like, you may have issues about someone, but there's no diagnosis of dementia. And, like, no harm to talk to someone. And it's all very informal, you know, so um, you don't have to be worried about um, what would be the outcome of it. Like,
3: Yeah, and I I think... (laughs) I think people are fearful yes. of a, of a, a dementia diagnosis but I take it you would say the earlier you yeah. get the di- is it better to get it earlier? To it is, it yeah? is
7: very much so uh, because as you probably know as you go on in your disease you know you do lose in, insight to what's happening so like it's very important to kind of get it at the beginning of disease and kind of put in place, you know, increase your exercise and your diet and try and keep it at that stage. If you can keep it at the earlier stage before it progresses into the next stage for as long as possible, that would be really important. You know, I like the... um, while there is increased awareness, I think there needs to be more education for the public in general as well about the trajectory of dementia.
3: Yeah, and that's where things like the memory cafe come into yes. it because it's when they get when a family get a diagnosis, it's the ripple effects. Everybody yep. gets affected yep. by it. Uh, they really do. Uh, listen, you are doing amazing work. Uh, well done to you, Teresa. And it's uh, it's going to be uh, it's next Wednesday. It's St. Bridget's Day, I don't, which, yeah. which which will be, which I think is there's something nice about it being on St. <laughs> Bridget's yes. Day. Um, um, do people? need to book or can no, they simply show up? No, you just
7: simply show up at the Maritime and I like to reach out to people in the greater West Cork area. It's not um, Bantry people. It's for the greater West Cork area, wherever you are in. and if you can get over to Bantry, it would be marvellous. Just drop in. You don't have to ring anyone. Um, it's between 11 and 1 and the plan is going forward that we'll have it on the first Wednesday of every month going forward okay. in the Maritime Hotel. Okay. And, and I, Can I just reach out to anyone living with dementia or cognitive impairment, so people too who feel they may have, or their family feel that they may have um, memory issues, to so drop in and talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That's all,
3: just get, get the knowledge, get the get, information. Get the, and Patricia, thanks so much well, for listen, letting our, me talk our, our, to you. Our, our pleasure, and, and uh, if you let us know when the next one is on, we will we'll remind people as well to, uh, to, so, so that people can attend. A good luck with it, Theresa, and thanks thank, a million. Thank you so much. Bye thank bye-bye, good morning to you. No, that no, is no. Theresa Bohan, who is Advanced Nurse Practitioner in, deme- on, in Dementia uh, in advance of the first Bantry. Memory Cafe, the library in the Maritime Hotel, next Wednesday at 11.
4: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Before I get to some of calls and comments coming in. This has been sent in to me by uh, WhatsApp with somebody saying that this is 100% true. I listen to it. I find this very hard to believe if this has happened. I, th- I think it's a bit of a joke but may- listen maybe it is true and if it is true I'd love to hear from somebody who can confirm that this has actually happened and the reason I'm a bit sceptical about it is it seems to be doing the rounds of WhatsApp. I know John Paul got sent it by um, some friends of his earlier on as well. Now we've bleeped out the area where this is purported to have happened uh, for obvious reasons because we can't confirm or, or deny that it actually happened. But just take a listen to uh, this.
8: Let's listen to this one. Uh, I think the secondary school in mm-hmm. uh, there's a girl, there a pupil in mm-hmm. who wants to be identified as a cat and is identifying as a cat. The parents are supporting her and... She's looked for a litter tray in the school to be put into the school and the school have refused it and the parents are now suing the school and a teacher was suspended because the pupil meowed at the teacher and the teacher barked back at her, as in
4: barked like a dog and the teacher got suspended. The world
1: is
3: everything was going fine until I heard that the teacher barked at somebody who's identifying as a cat and I I think somebody is having a little bit of a wind up this morning but anyway the person who sent it on said honest to God this is 100% true I'll not believe in a word of it, but we'll put it out there and see, is it 100% true? 0818 103 103. We were talking about housing refugees in the last hour and in particular housing Ukrainian uh, refugees. Uh, Gary was on to say, as a possible solution, there are two naval vessels in Cork Harbour that are not in use at the moment and they are due to be sold or moved on. Gary's suggestion is, why not use these vessels to offer emergency accommodation for refugees he said between both of them which by the way he says has on board catering facilities he reckons they could ha- house 190 people he said something similar has been carried out in Glasgow where the Scottish government have put refugees on cruise ships so why could we not do the same thing here it would help with the current crisis that we have Gary works in the industry so he knows that it is possible and that it would uh, work and certainly for for the people who are coming seeking asylum, looking for international protection. We know we heard only yesterday there literally is no more room at the inn. Uh, They have been told when they arrive that they have to sleep rough. So I mean I think uh, somebody would prefer to be on a uh, a decommissioned navy vessel I think than sleeping rough on the uh, streets and the very notion of allowing people who are coming into this uh, country seeking asylum to all suddenly be sleeping rough on the streets of Dublin, that is going to create a humanitarian uh, crisis, uh, because they've been told it could be at least until the middle of February before they will be able to find suitable accommodation for them. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, staying on modular homes. John In Cove says, I know a friend of mine who was refu- refused permission to put a modular home on his own land. My suggestion, if the government and the OPW want to build modular homes, why not put them in some place like Phoenix Park? There's a lot of land in the Phoenix Park. Also, John in Cove says, what about the Catholic Church? The Catholic Church have a number of large houses around the country that they own and are not in uh, use. Uh, why could they not house some of the refugees? Once again, it's ordinary families who have been asked to give, give, give all of uh, the time. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And some of your thoughts coming in on the refugee crisis situation. And then a number of people, actually, these have come in back to back. It was following. um, It was on the news with uh, Barry when we were talking about what came out yesterday. uh, Revelations that Sinn Féin has now uncovered a total of five separate expenses. Now, they totaled 2,000. And €16, which should have been included in the party's 2016 declaration to the Standards and Public Office Commission, SIPO. The party said in a statement it regretted the omission, which now means it has to resubmit its returns for the general election. But they do say they are well within The spending limits permitted by a political party for an election. Now, some people commenting on that. Dan says, Patricia, after trying to destroy Pascal Donoghue, isn't it amazing how quiet Sinn Féin have gone since yesterday after finding their own emissions in expenses? You would think Pascal Donahue had done an awful crime the way Sinn Féin went on when they were doing similar things themselves. The holier-than-thou Sinn Féin party throwing stones from within their glass houses, says Dan. Mick says, well, 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 the party who wanted answers and calling for heads on a plate in the doll now have some answering to do themselves. Uh, but of course, they'll come up with it never happened and their friends in the media won't go after them like they would have gone after the government. Oh, I've seen a lot of media. I've seen a lot of media uh, g- pick up on this particular story. Make I think it was Sean Anshin in the Irish Independent. I think it was the one who was responsible for uncovering it. And then an- another Dan, a different one to the original Dan says, Patricia, as a follow up to an email I sent you yesterday regarding the overpaid shower that we have in the Dáil, last night's revelations about Sinn Féin's affairs confirms my scepticism about our totally, how totally ripped off we are everything that has come out this week firstly with Pascal Donohue thing now no longer an issue get rid of them all I say appoint a, C- a CEO if we had a CEO they could run the country uh, Dan says people need to remember all of this come the next election 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 or 103, 103 C103 Jobs Pat Enright, Glass and Glazing in Mallow. They are looking for window fitters and a general labourer. Call 022-50450. An early years educator with QQI Level 5 required for Bantier Community Childcare. CVs please to mary at bantierchildcare.ie. Ward personnel are recruiting construction labourers, ground workers, machine drivers and all types of carpenters. Call 21 two three three nine one two zero and a receptionist is wanted for jimmy barry motors in Bantry. fuller part-time hours will be considered call 087 2586419 you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103.
0: Cork today on C103.
4: With Corrigan Insurances McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group, for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
0: This is Cork today on C103.
4: Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie.
3: Now, the current level of available ambulance cover in West Cork has deteriorated to such an extent. That it is now actively endangering the lives and health of residents and is causing severe levels of burnout and exhaustion among ambulance and paramedical staff. That is a statement from West Cork Independent TD Michael Collins, who joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I mean, a shocking statement, I have to say. So, I suppose, talk to me about what ambulance cover is currently available and how does that compare, say, with previous years?
2: Well, at the moment, we have uh, ambulance, uh, four ambulances in West Cork. uh there's one based in Bantry, Skipperine, uh, and Castleton Bayard. Now, in previous years, and I say, let maybe go back uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago, the, the ambulances were based in West Cork, and were working in West Cork, and not working elsewhere. The kilty ambulance, and I'm reliably informed, and I'll be honest with you, because I have some staff members, I have some burnt-out staff members that have left the ambulance service, I have some people who are the ambulances, I can't get ambulances, but they tell me the clinical the ambulance is, is out in Cork City from early morning uh, to late in the night and is in every other um, part of Cork County, but not in West Cork. The Castletown Bear Ambulance, which is right up there in Castleton Bear, is down in Kerry uh, uh, every day. So what's left is Bantry and Skibbereen. And when the Bantry and Skibbereen get called out, and it could, be, it could be in Conceal, it could be in East and it could well be in uh, in, in Gordine. Uh, they didn't have to, enter and head to, to pick up the patient. It could be a very serious issue, yes, and that should go to CUH, obviously. But there's issues of uh, bone breaks or whatever, but they are told quite clearly not to take them to benches. So they're, they're all heading into the bottleneck in, in, in CUH. They're then in a situation where they can't uh, take out the patient because the, the hospital is, is, is overcrowded. And in some cases, they might have to wait three, four, five hours. And when that, if if that's the case, there is no ambulance cover whatsoever in West Cork at that time. And in a lot of cases, uh, Patricia, when they do um, bring the patient into UH and 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 uh, I suppose in their side of their work, they're being told to go to places like uh, Tipperary, uh, again maybe Kerry, could be Limerick. They're called everywhere and anywhere, but there's no cover in all these kinds in West Cork. And the whole point is. There's people ringing for ambulances. There's people lying on the roadside for hours. There's people lying in their home after a fall, uh, waiting maybe ten, twelve hours for an ambulance in West it's, it's
3: it's a breaking point. So it's it's the National Ambulance Service. They are the ones who decide what ambulance goes where, and and I know they pri- they prioritise depending on the call. So therein seems to be the problem. They don't have enough ambulances.
2: They certainly don't. And I think that they they're you know they're they're. Uh, uh, they're leaving eminences, go here, there and everywhere. And there's no understanding that there's 132 kilometres long of, 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 of area in West Cork from, we'll say, Kinsey and Targroom. And it's a huge area and it's brought out savagely. And to think that, you know, uh, people would have their mind at ease. To think that there's a, if there was an Edmonton, Canada, where in Clan Hilty, at least uh, continuously with the pension scheme, you know there's going to be sufficient cover. But the bottom line is all four of them are everywhere and anywhere. But most times, not where they're supposed to be in Westcock. And some of these employees were, you know, they were, they're, they're living in Westcock, They were born tra- trained um, uh, to the best of their ability to, to deliver service to the people of Cork and then deliver it to everybody else but the people of Westcock.
3: Yeah, and, and I think, you've, I think right. you, and you've also identified what is uh, a huge problem. And I'm assuming this is a problem nationwide. And that's the delays transferring patients from the back of an ambulance when they get to the hospital.
2: Uh, You know, in particular in the last few years, you know, the problem, the two problems there, Patricia, first of all, they're bypassing Bantry General Hospital for a lot of cases that they do not need to bypass Bantry General Hospital for breaks or whatever, because they're well able to look after all that. That's the number one problem, of course, and not alone bypassing it. They're heading up to an overcrowded, and already overcrowded CUH who can't cope with the people that are coming in there. So they're being kept in the ambulance until there's room in, inside the hospital. And that can take hours. It's leading, leading to massive stress amongst uh, ambulance staff. And I met the staff that have left it, uh, dedicated, brilliant people, bumped into them, asked them how are they getting on, telling me they're gone. They're quick.
6: Wow. They moved
2: on to another job because they couldn't cope anymore. They were never in the area they were supposed to be. They were sent here, there, everywhere all over the country, long hours. No, no understanding. But I did put forward a solution yesterday, Patricia. Um, and and the solution must put forward to the people in West Cork and to the ambulance uh, staff in West Cork in 2000, uh, 2013, and and 13, when they were promised a 24/7 rapid response vehicle, and that's what they got in West Cork. What we got in West Cork was a day service, a, a, not a 24-hour service, which is badly needed. And on top of that. That was that day service was meant to be 365 days. We find out last year that there was 94 days there was no rapid response vehicle in in Westcott. So these questions need to be answered. And also, and,
3: and that's down to staffing, is it? that's down to the it, the staffers.
2: It 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 looks like it's been that they're they're not they're not adequately staffed. They could be moved elsewhere. There's a lot of movement here going on, as I said yesterday in the dark of night, that we don't know anything about. And the only time we find it out is when some poor, misfortunate individual is, is in the agony and is lying outside on the roadside or is in, in a home crying out for an ambulance and in some cases even in re- recent times people pushed into lifting into the back of the car and start going yourself because you're not going to get an ambulance Yeah to the door.
3: well you know we've heard countless times of and it worries me of people who are afraid to go to hospital afraid to go to the A&E department because you know we're constantly hearing about people on, on trolleys and we know that the problems that that's going to cause and people are dying because they're not going to hospital for the treatment that they need I mean I assume there's got to be people who are now slow to ring an ambulance because they think, well, I'm not going to get an ambulance.
2: Well I, I think this, from what I can gather people are ringing they're asking when is the ambulance going to come they're probably ringing back again, inquiring after about an hour and finding out that that ambulance is nowhere near getting there and in most cases people are putting the person which they shouldn't in a lot of cases into the back of the car because they feel it's a life and death situation and heading to the hospital and so that's a scandalous situation to, to find out and in another situation And another that's, that's
3: okay if you're five minutes away from if you're in the city and you're five minutes away from CUH but that's not okay if you're down on the tip of the Bear Peninsula or the tip of the Mizan Peninsula to put somebody that unwell into a car,
2: it's not, it's not humanly possible. But unfortunately, it's the situation that people find themselves in. And and you know, you know. In fairness to the T-shirt yesterday, he said he takes on board. He's, he's not fully aware of the West Cork situation. He's going to talk with the minister for health. They're going to communicate back to me to see can they make improvements. And that's what I was trying to. I was trying to put in solutions also because an intermediate care vehicle also needs to be put in place in West Cork where they can take patients from hospitals nursing homes, some, some general hospitals, we say the community hospitals. And that and would back.
3: free up an ambulance, wouldn't
2: it? It would, it would. So, like, there is solutions there, um, and these solutions are coming from the people who know best with their feet on the ground. The government needs to walk towards because I've raised this with me Martin, a year and a half, ago, two years ago, I, when I when there was a lady who was at 14 or 15 hours waiting for an ambulance in West Cork. This has become a crisis issue right now. It's a crisis issue for the people that are suffering. It's a crisis issue for the staff. Uh, Patricia, and the, the government has to act. But it is an issue in other areas as well. But I, 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 I can only fight on behalf of the people. Who know, are proper, we know. need a
3: proper But, but when it. you mentioned, I mean, and I remember doing talking about it on air, the twenty four seven rapid response paramedic uh, vehicle. I'm, I'm taking it back to discover that's ten years ago, uh, twenty thirteen. Ha, has it ever been there twenty four seven? Even at it the start? Never,
2: no, it, it, it was promised. Then yeah. it would be there. It, it, they never got the twenty-four-seven. They got a day service, and, and that day service obviously is been covering three hundred sixty-five days now either. It's, it's, it's at, with the loss of ninety-four days last year. So that to me is being sneakily moved away again from uh, from us. And again, a lot of this happens, as we say, in the dark at night. We don't realise that there's no ambulance available in West Cork, but like it's coming to light because I think the staff can't cope anymore number one is they're leaving uh, they work, and of course again it comes back to the people people are talking they're, they're, they're looking for their ambulance service and open so, brings an ambulance service unless you need it yeah. I see myself uh, you, three young men in the car and last year so it's gone for three and a half hours uh, wait for an ambulance lying on the side of the road just, just unbelievable okay, and,
3: but it, but and it's a real worry to hear of the burnout and the exhaustion isn't it we lose we lose some of our good staff if we don't do something
2: and they're top class they're top class yeah. staff that have worked and trained and are dedicated to deliver service to the people who have are born and raised, to, and that's what they wanted to do, and now they've been taken everywhere else. There's nothing wrong with helping any, uh, other people, but we certainly can't do that at, at, at uh, leaving you with open without an ambulance service. Uh, okay.
3: Can just while I have you on, um, I saw that uh, you were looking for emergency financial aid for inshore fisheries sector. What's that about, and why yes, are you looking for that?
2: A, we had a motion in the doll yesterday, and uh, the Ambulance Service was a leader's questions I, I was doing, but the motion in relation to the inshore fishermen is uh, that uh, being, like we t- t- talk a lot about the bigger fleet, and I never ever like to divide the, the big fleet or the small fleet. Like, to me, they're all fishermen, they all need help at certain times. And uh, the sector hasn't been getting help, uh, either the, the larger fleet or the smaller fleet. But in, in, in relation to the inshore fishermen, the shrimp and velvet crab. Market has completely collapsed. It might be the war in Ukraine. There's a number of reasons for that. There's some fishermen haven't been out inshore fishing. These are daytime fishermen that go on their smaller boats um, into the water. They haven't been fishing, are able to fish it since maybe early early December, and have had no income. They have families to feed, the same as everybody else. The inshore sector, uh, their own union, has bought a 12 year package. We put forward a motion yesterday in the doll. Quite simply, looking for that 10 million package for the insure sector. It's not. Um, a, it's not a we're going. To, a new precinct we're going to be setting because the peak sector last year on the agriculture got got a, got a, a package um, to save their sector and, and rightly so. So this is an a package of 12 million euros that would have them. And also, we're looking for a fuel subsidy. Now, the astonishing thing you now what's happening in the at the present time is you put forward a motion. Your motion is quite quite clear. We're looking for a 12 million in package for the, sec- the, the insure sector and the fuel subsidy. And the government says they won't give it, but they still support your motion. And it's it's, it's astonishing, to say the least, because if you're you're putting forward a motion, you expect they'll agree and and work towards giving the the funds or the necessary uh, saving package for their industry. But they'll turn around and they'll agree to the motion, but they won't give anything. And the, the minister has his hands on 5 million euros of European money in relation to a fuel subsidy, you will not give it to the larger fleet and you won't give it to the inshore fleet. And we cannot understand for the life of us why that isn't the case, because in other European countries where fishing is very strong, they have got to eat uh, for their fuel. And, and in, in relation to the inshore sector, they're working on the, uh, petrol engines, which is extremely expensive for them. And they need help at this time. And unfortunately, as I said, we got loads of sympathetic words and loads of praise for them from the minister, but no delivery on a package. And that's yeah, to be... I don't
3: know what it is about our fishing industry, because it's such an important uh, industry. It always seems to be the poor relation.
2: Both the larger sector, and doing sector have been neglected continuously yeah. by, by, by success. Well only yesterday
3: we were talking about the, the offers on the table for some of the boats that, that are decommissioning and they're certainly not happy with that. Can I just go back to some uh, listeners' thoughts coming in on the ambulance uh, service. Uh, thank you to Michael Collins for highlighting this. The people of West Cork have no idea how often they are left without an ambulance service. Uh, what, what's it going to take? A critical incident before something will happen. The paramedics and advanced paramedics are beyond exhausted and stressed and I take it that's from somebody uh, who knows people working within the service. Uh, Hi Patricia i um, glad that you're covering this topic on the programme this morning. I can't understand why can't the likes of Mallow Hospital open their 24 hour emergency service and get an ER doctor in there uh, because other hospitals are under so much uh, pressure. Uh, they have added a new building to the hospital. Why can't the accident and emergency open at Mallow and somebody else saying the accident and emergency needs to uh, reopen at uh, Bantry and that's, th- that's never going to Happen though, is it, Michael? That we'd go, Sadly, we'd go back closed. to the.
2: I don't, we did close the 24 oriented, we fought bravely, a number of us, to keep that open, and since that, we're, we're going to step back. But the bigger issue here right now, and I suppose we can unfortunately undo the mess that was made at that time, because the biggest issue here is that the ambulance.
0: Selling a little or a lot?
1: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. i are clearly instructed if somebody falls and breaks a bone in the Misman Peninsula in she's there and bear And I'm only saying that because they're the furthest place. They're bypassing bypassing Banter General Hospital and taking them straight up to the CUH. It's crazy. The whole thing is absolutely mind-boggling. And the mi- but
3: the minor injury clinic is there to deal with those issues.
2: It is. And if you put the person, bundle them into the car and you take them to the bench, they'll be looked
3: after. And but they well won't take after. them. Yeah, it's the same issue. We've heard the very same um, examples come out of Mallow Hospital uh, as well. OK, listen, uh, we have to leave it there. Thank you for that, Michael. Thank you. And uh, thanks for uh, joining us. That is uh, West Cork, uh, Doll Deputy, uh, Michael Collins. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Somebody, so some of your are texting, somebody saying, Patricia, could you find out is the boil water notice still in place in the McCroom area? I can tell you, yes, the boil water notice uh, does remain in place in the McCroom area. So keep boiling your water, uh, please and Mary Mallow wants to know is there any update on that lady Noreen who got attacked by the pigeon I, I haven't but I, what I will do is when John Paul has been busy all morning when he gets a chance I get him to put a call through to Noreen to see how she is and more importantly to see has that pigeon left her garden and gone away and has he gone off and attacked uh, somebody else and did he calm down and how quick did it take him uh, to calm down after the attack yesterday I'm delighted to say the Sergeant uh, John Kelly based at Femoy the station uh, joins me live in uh, studio uh, for this week uh, guard the file. Good morning to you John. Good morning Patricia. And you're, 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 ha- you're, you're, you're very me. welcome If you have a microphone in front of you there you sound a bit away from the microphone yes. Why are you sounding distant? Let me turn those all up Okay. Um, okay yeah that's okay Okay now uh, let's uh, start. You want start, to start with um, this again. We're back to a, a Facebook scam I take it here. Somebody bought concert tickets.
8: Yeah yes Patricia and it looks like we're going to have more of that in the future. You know I mean it seems that a lot of crime again We've emphasized it in the past. It's moving online. You know, you're not having the same level of uh, burglaries. You're not having the same level of physical thefts. But you are having it. Again, this is online. Whereby a person, um, something came up on their Facebook feed uh, looking for concert tickets. They replied. They sent on a uh, 50 euro true Revolut. obviously no ticket. And uh, post disappears afterwards, you know. People just have to uh, exercise caution with regard to that. You know. Yeah, it's and, ha-
3: it, and you know, it, and I know people will be exasperated saying, can't believe that somebody would get stung. But it c- if you're in, if you're busy or if you're desperate to get something
8: and if you're desperate to get something, and that's know,
3: what these scam artists
8: know. Absolutely. You know, and there are uh, there are authorised resellers, you know, go through something like that. There may be somebody, you know, not going to the concert. You Know, but I mean, once you move outside a, a level like that, well, then you're leaving yourself open, you know. Yeah, and d- don't
3: buy from a random stranger. And obviously, that pops when up. you
8: send on money to Revolut, I mean, one of the last things you said, uh, do you know and trust John? Do you know and trust Mary? Yeah, I mean, you're after hitting that. Well, you're after s- saying basically, yeah, you know, the person you're buying from, no you there's no comeback, there's no comeback. No,
3: no, you've agreed, you've agreed to it. Okay, yeah. let's move to a break in in
8: Charnival, A uh, break in in Charnival, but in this case, um. The injured party came back and uh, were able in a position to identify uh, the person who had had done the break in, who was leaving the scene, you know. Um, But break ins at the moment, uh, I mean, are very, very few and far between, totally. You know, I think since Christmas, uh, we've only had two in Cork North. Now, you, you know, when you consider this is the 26th of January. You know, I mean, so that type of physical, physical crime seems to have reduced quite a bit. It has never recovered since COVID, you know, but, you know, still for people, keep their eyes and ears open. The opportunists haven't gone away.
3: And, and I think probably as well, people are getting more careful about making sure they're locking up before they leave, closing windows. If you've got alarms, turning on the alarms. And I've certainly noticed a lot more people seem to have got alarms installed.
8: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And You know, and, it and is a deterrent. It is a deterrent, but I mean, not alone even from from a breaking point of view, but the fact that you have a hardwired smoke alarm as well, and that if, if anything goes wrong, if, if anything goes wrong with your oil burner and your, you you know, it, it goes up or s- something electrical that has been on in the house goes up, well, you know, you're going to have that. Go through to the monitoring station, who in turn will have somebody somebody at the door mm. before further damage is done. Yeah, you know. Okay. So I think it's essential. So it, it
3: is right wor- now. This is a this is a worrying one. This is to do with one of these blackmail. Uh, again, we're back to cyber crime, uh, but it's it's to do with them. Um, It's young people in the main are getting caught with this one.
8: Yes, and I mean, you go back a number of years ago, about five years ago, there was one happened above in the north with very tragic consequences. I think it was a a youth of 15 Mm -hmm. sent on intimate photos. In this case, uh, maybe a youth of 18 or 19 um, believed that they were, uh, I suppose, male texting online to who they believed was a a female. Mm -hmm. And uh, intimate photos were exchanged. And uh, next thing, the demand came true. Well, if you don't pay five hundred euro, uh, they, they'll, they'll also going to be circulated to your friends. You know, That's ju-
3: and it's devastating for, it a, young, for a young for young
8: person. Absolutely devastating. You know, yes. it's quite a new world out there. You know, with a lot of uh, uh, what's going on in phones. You know, and I remember even uh, uh, talking to some of our people in the computer section some years ago as regards computer crime. You know, and like an awful lot of the what they know call child, child porn um, uh, is actually children that are sending intimate photos of themselves to other children Yeah, you yeah, know that's yeah. that's constituted quite you know so yeah. please y- you know it's very very important for people to have a chat with their uh, children as regards smartphones and what to do, what not to do, the etiquettes involved, and everything. You know?
3: But if you end up in a situation like that, where you, you know, willingly sent on the pictures, believing that you were having some kind of a relationship with the person on the other end uh, of the email, and then this comes back with, it turns out it's a blackmail. Don't pay, and you just and report it.
8: Don't pay, report it, make contact with us straight away. You know, and um, you, you know, make sure that you don't bottle it up inside. Yeah. You know, you n- you go and you s- seek help straight away. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the that's the important thing to do. Everything, n- n- nothing n- is, n- is too times. big that can They're, can't they're be not fixed. going to share it with anyone. No, they, you know, they're not but going to.
3: Share know, it so just but yeah. report it so that something can, can be done about it. Absolutely. Now, carry on luggage, take it from a train. This is like mm. one of those mean crimes. Yeah, it's one of those mean crimes, but it's always one of those ones
8: that does potential for whether you're traveling uh, you you know on a a nonstop on a bus journey to dublin which stops at a number of places we have seen in the past uh, incidents where uh, you may have people that will be waiting at the bus stop but they're not waiting to go anywhere they're just waiting to see if there's any unattended luggage can be taken you know and uh, in this case you you know for people when there is a stop and if they have uh, a bag just make sure that at that wherever it stops that They do keep an eye on their luggage at that point because it is something, it is something could happen.
3: And, and of course, there's nothing suspicious about somebody getting off a train and picking up a bag because you think, Oh, that's their bag, and they and they walk off with it,
8: correct? But I don't think it was that, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I I think it could be uh, something that, yeah, maybe the person was seen getting on with the thing, uh, yeah. So, uh, like, <laughs> un, 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 unfortunately, where you have a uh, uh, <coughs> people who are addicted maybe to heroin or whatever you know they just yeah. see opportunistic I,
3: uh, I actually heard a case in Dublin it was one of the hotels in Dublin you know the hotels that are linked to the airport Absolutely. people stay overnight and then they get the shuttle mm. bus and these, it was an Amer- American woman and her elderly mother uh, went to get on the shuttle bus put their suitcases on got on the bus and put the suitcases mm. in you know the cargo hold of the bus and by the time they got to the airport their bags were gone now when they were back on CCTV from the hotel they literally put them into the luggage hold got on the bus and this guy appeared out of nowhere took the cases and walked off yeah. you know what I mean it's just we come across a situation
8: there a couple of years ago where there was a large heavy case put on put on board by, by, by two youths they carried it they put on board but inside in the in in inside in the case was 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 actually a fella.
3: Oh my god! So he
8: got out uh, on underneath the bus He got out then and. Uh, while on the journey, rifle through the cases, you know. No, I mean that is. Goodness. I haven't heard of it since. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I know they go to any it. lengths. Criminal, but criminals are ingenious, yeah. you know, when they're looking at something, you know. Yeah. So just if you st- if you do have a stop, just that you have eye contact on your back.
3: at all times. Yeah. At all times, and th- this now is a new one on me. Uh, a phone stolen, and then somebody requested money to get c- give back the phone.
8: Yeah, w- well, in this case, the the, the phone was stolen, but, but there was n- the, what it was was the request. Um, there was a uh, there was a request sent out from that phone.
3: Oh, I apologize. Request yeah.
8: was sent from that phone uh, to a person who was in the uh, on on the mailing list. I suppose within the, the phone contacts, the, uh, the yeah. contacts on the phone that they needed uh, money urgently sent on on Revolut or one of those online banks, and uh, there was a request for two hundred, and there was a re- request for three hundred. You know, and uh, I mean the. I think there was some money sent on. And of course the
3: person would see the phone number of the person they know and think, could could be their daughter or their brother or their sister or whatever, and think, oh, they're stuck for money, of course I'll send you one money.
8: Exactly, exactly. No, this is a completely new one on me. Yeah. Uh, You you know, I don't know how the PIN number was accessed, but maybe it was was just hacked. You know, I mean, uh, sometimes if someone was maybe stolen in City Centre Dublin, are a number of places in back alleys as regards that you could go maybe to get it opened you know um so i would presume to something like that happened you know? that's
3: why protecting your phone john is so important because they they, they contain so much information don't they
8: absolutely I, you know and i saw lately um you know in a bar over the over, over the christmas period um where there was maybe 100 or 200 people but i noticed that looking at the uh, at the counter i think I was one of only five or six people that were paying cash. Yeah. Everybody else was paying through their phone or through the card or something else. Yeah. So the whole payments ha- has changed out there, you know. And as I, we can see as well, in, in, in that also has helped, uh, say, a drop in thefts from shops or a drop of uh, uh, robberies because suddenly, you know, you go into a shop, there isn't much cash anymore. But you, you, you
3: need know? to protect your phone because your phone but is you like protect, a wallet.
8: You need to protect your phone. Everything is on. It's yeah. a mini computer. You know, you have it. It's you know, everything's on it.
3: You yeah, know? and if your banking is linked to it, as so many of uh, us have it, it'll, it'll, it'll it can Abs- be pay pay as well. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. as always, uh, a pleasure. And we can't at the moment pass. This is your last ever. Garda the file. You are officially retiring next month.
8: I retiring from the Garda Shikana and the third of How are you
3: feeling about retiring?
8: Feeling good about it. Are you? Okay? Know? Oh, time time is up. Yeah. Uh, we've seen, I suppose, uh, Ireland change. I said over that. 40 years I joined on 20th of October 1982 and I suppose in that years we've seen absolutely gigantic changes in all of society you know um, uh, spent my early years were spent uh, above, above in Limerick City which city I enjoyed and you know plenty of uh, plenty of action up there plenty of things happening that was in the yeah. 80s that was in the, yeah that yeah. was in the 80s I was there till 99 uh, um, you know and uh, during that time you know we lost a great colleague that I was attached to uh, unit up there at the time God Mercy and I Jerry McCabe
6: I oh, oh, was oh, another
8: great colleague yeah. uh, Ben Sullivan was yeah. badly injured at that time and you know we see tr- we saw a lot of traumatic events you know and uh, it's one of those things in your in your career you don't want to be yet um only once is a guard a funeral yeah you know of a serving member but <coughs> we uh, um, coming down here to taken up as crime prevention officers down here you saw the changes that were happening in ireland you know the small villages where w- when i came in 99 you would see maybe two or three shops in each town or two or three pubs or th- there was definitely a post office as well you know in some places you went to intermediate small towns you had two banks three banks you know so th- you know a lot has changed
3: you yeah know. yeah
8: crime has changed as well you know and uh, but I'll have plenty to keep myself occupied. Uh, yeah.
3: And, wow. and, and I know we were only talking with the GRA last week, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, assaults, there, there, there doesn't seem to be the same level of respect for Angarda Shikona that was there, say, you know, when you started in the 80s. I
8: would agree with you. Yeah. Um, I do, uh, it's definitely there has been a societal change in that respect. You know, and I think see, uh, I've seen in the last while colleagues in, in, in Dublin, in particular, and in other areas, that they have suffered absolutely horrible injuries. And, um, you know, uh, like we're facing at the moment, definitely it, uh, it was even commented on by the Commissioner there lately at the Policing Authority. My former Chief Con Cadigan, uh, when he retired, commented on it as well in the media. We're facing a recruitment and retention crisis, you know, and and like, I mean, it, it is going to be hard in the future getting get in youth into the Galician, and while yes, it's 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 a something that offers a uh, uh, different opportunities, you know, every day. But it's just the fact that there's uh, not very much incentive at the moment, mm. you, you know. Uh, as a as guard, when they see some of the crime that's happening, uh, some of the attacks on them out in the at the street, you know, and also um, to be to be fair, as suppose there is a, an element of micromanagement going on as well. But also, you see as well that. You know, and it's important. Anyone thinking of going for the guards that they do their due diligence. You know, on what they're joining, and you you know what are the benefits uh, afterwards. I mean, they will have to retire when you're when you're twenty joining. You don't think pension pension is something? Oh, yeah. You know, it doesn't bother you. Yeah, you yeah. Know, It means nothing it to it means nothing or. to you. Yeah. You know, but I mean, when when I met uh, uh, a young chap down there lately uh, in Formoy, he was just after coming out from a t- talk with uh, a person who was basically talking about. Uh, AVC's and the like and he came out literally white-faced to discover that he was going to be leaving he was one of those giant post 2013 and he was going to be leaving with a pension of probably 12 and a half or 13,000
3: oh, just crazy you know I yeah. mean you yeah. have
8: to incentivize yeah. Th- things you yeah know? and
3: they're going to have to do something because people are not going to want to join unless they know they've got a secure future. Uh, And that includes retirement. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And then the the other thing I always feel about uh, members of Guard this year going out, the having to call to people's homes to break bad news. Is is that part of the toughest part of (coughs) your job? It's something that
8: I think I've had to do once. And. (coughs) Once is enough.
3: You'll never forget it? No. No.
8: no. Okay. No. This, this it, it's, it's um, you, you know, you meet people at the best of times, you meet them at the worst of times. Yeah, you know?
3: yeah. It's. I always feel, uh, and, I always um, feel for As well protect. as that,
8: uh, you know, colleagues that have to go out there in the traffic or, and uh, frontline policing that are going to traffic accidents all the time, you know. And I mean, at, uh, you know, at a moment like this, that, you know, I'd like to, you know, t- think of, our colleague below in the Middleton district, Morris bilan mm. who was badly injured there before Christmas, and uh, thankfully, you know, Morris had life-changing injuries, but thankfully, he's on the mend.
3: Good, and that's w- good. I'd like
8: you. to wish and all our colleagues we were talking here last night. We just want to wish Morris all the very best and all the, our other injured colleagues throughout the country. You know. Okay. But, uh, yeah, you see, yeah. heartings. Yeah,
3: yeah. Somebody said uh, this is from Michael, and where Michael is texting from it says, "Hi, Patricia. Just want to wish Sergeant John Kelly the very best in his retirement. He's such a professional in his delivery and advice on the program, and we will miss his sound advice, <laughs> which is which is <laughs> lovely. And I have to say, we'll miss your sound advice as well, because I don't know how many times we've done a piece with you, and it'll get picked up by the newspapers because people because it was and I've all, and we've got some wonderful guards uh, and sergeants doing our guard the file, but you all seem to hit on something that works and that people need to get uh, advice on and that's something i would say you know in in crime prevention for people to go talk to their local guards
8: talk, talk to your local guards and you you know th- you know there is a wide breadth of experience out there you know and in all our communities out there um to be honest there seems to be you know it always has been a, po- a policy that you know when a local guard retires in a village right there will be someone handpicked that has good Uh, How would you say, native cunning? Yeah. You know, you can't replace native cunning. You know, that's that's sent out. That is a good man. And like the local guard in a a community, he's not just a guard, he's a social worker gone in fixing different little jobs that never come to the light afterwards it might be trouble between neighbors it might be y- y- you know it might be mental health issues and there are more and more mental health issues out of the community and mm-hmm. and i find from talking to colleagues you, you know unfortunately it's a lot of mental health calls sometimes that are going to at the moment you know but we, we like to think over the years that we've helped people you know and that it's not something that you can quantify as regards how much crime you've prevented you know, um as 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 regards fraud, as it regards something, you know might think, Well, you I'm not gonna fall for that one. I heard that covered on the radio the last few days. Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes people think why are they on about that again? But you have to re it all. Well listen
3: I don't know how many times we will get a call in from uh, listeners to say uh, that you would have spoken about something and literally that afternoon they'll have got a text saying oh that's what Sergeant John Kelly was talking about today and people saying would you ever thank you know whatever guard it was but you in particular which is, w- which is great. Uh, uh, Paul in Don Garvin says what a lovely man uh, and tell him to enjoy his well earned uh, retirement and a lot of people want to wish you all the best. I want to wish um, Gar- Sergeant John Kelly the very best in his retirement and thanks for all you've done for all your service uh, over the years which is great have you a party planned?
8: I, s- <laughs> I suppose have something small <laughs> normally something you know is it, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. do you
3: golf do you garden do you have hobbies?
8: Uh, I lo- absolutely love gardening do you? great, I'm, I'm, great. I'm, I'm not a golfer but history and heritage will be what I'd be interested in brilliant and brilliant. I will be I suppose talking to you in, in the future hoping to get a little bit of time on that yeah. because i please will be do. very involved in history and heritage please do don't be a stranger and the Kathleen in may is one of the things that we're looking at at the moment we're looking to get a famous yawl ship back home
3: oh listen it's,
8: it's in keep the us U- posted it's in the uk at the moment and uh, uh there will be there will be money required and we're hoping that maybe some generous benefactors will come on hand and okay, uh, well it would be nice to see it tied up at the key and you again If Uh, we can be
3: of any help, publicity-wise, let us know. Thank you very much. gotta leave it there, Sergeant John Kelly. A pleasure, as always. Thanks for joining us. Cork
4: Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: tragic story coming out of uh, West Cork where a small child has died in Skibbereen in what is believed to have been a choking incident in the family home. Now see me the emergency services rushed uh, to the scene. It's believed to have happened uh, last night. A little two-year-old boy eating food suddenly got into difficulty and it's believed efforts by the first responders to re- uh, revive him were unsuccessful and he was pronounced dead at the scene. Isn't that such a tragic story in every family's Worst uh, nightmare. So, thoughts and prayers uh, with that family in Skibbereen. Shocking, shocking story. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And then Michael has been on to us, and this isn't the first uh, text like this that I've received. We've been getting a number of them, certainly across last week. I think was the first of them that I started to re- to receive. Michael says, Patricia, I am one. I'm sure of many, many of your listeners who have received a letter this morning from the HSE that my data was taken in the data breach. This is scary, knowing so much personal information of mine is now out there somewhere. I'm wondering now, what can I do about it? I would appreciate any advice from any others in a similar uh, situation. OK, you're certainly not on your own. The, there is 113,000 people. Whose personal information was illegally accessed and copied. That was during the uh, cyber attack on the HSC. Was it last year, the year before, wasn't it? Uh, 2021. Uh, now, the HSC, by the way, haven't finished writing to people. It's going to be at least April of this year before everyone who is affected will actually get a letter from the HSC. And obviously, if you don't hear from the HSC, it means that your information wasn't uh, copied. Now, the good news is, and just to allay people's uh, fears, The HSE say that they have no evidence that any illegally accessed information has been used in criminal scams are in fraud small amount of information did appear in the dark web in the early days It was back in may of 2021 but it was taken down Uh, and after more than 18 months of investigation and careful online monitoring which by the way they're continuing to do they have no evidence that any information any further information has been published online so i suppose that that is the good news i mean now they say i know on the if you go on to the hsc uh, dot ie they have a lot of information uh, on, on on what people can do and you know you can find out exactly what information you can request copies of the information that relates to you if if you want to and of the hundred and thirteen thousand people which is a huge number of people it was less than a thousand had financial information accessed or copied and I suppose that's the real worry that people would have would be that your financial Information will get into the hands of the wrong people, so that was less than uh, a thousand. But as I say, no evidence to date that any information has been used in any criminal scams or any fraud. But of course, they do say, uh, and obviously, this people who will receive one of these letters, particularly those whose financial information has been accessed, to be very careful of you know any kind of scams coming your way. Contact your local guard, guard the station, and you know if you are worried in any way that you think your your bank details have been compromised, the advice as always is just to directly contact your bank but as of now getting there you don't need to do anything unless you want to actually get more information from the HSC. if you go on to the HSC, I haven't seen the letter but I'm assuming all this information is on the letter uh, as well, but you can go on to the HSC and you can request copies of the information if you want that that specifically relates uh, to you, uh, but no you're right, you're not on your own 113,000 people and letters started, I think last week as I say was the first time that week certainly are notified here of people receiving the uh, letters but it'll be up until April before they get all those letters out to people. 08181 103103. Some of your calls and texts coming in on modular homes that the OPW have now been assigned to build for Ukrainians. They've been asked, tasked by the government to build them for Ukrainian refugees. 700 in total is is how many modular homes they've actually purchased. Charlie said, could Bottle Hill not be used for modular homes? The problem I would see with Bottle Hill is it's too far uh, out. They need to be near services. I mean, if you're talking about Ukrainian families, women and children in the main, um, they don't have cars. So they've got to sort of have access to are they in walking distance of a school and walking distance of shops I'll, I'll just take it that the Bottle Hill site would be too far out for them I'm, I'm assuming uh, Charlie uh, morning, and, and I know what you're saying that the fact it's in an isolated area that people would be objecting I'm assuming that's why you're suggesting Bottle Hill uh, is it I'm, I take it that's what uh, your your theory uh, or your reasoning for mentioning uh, Bottle Hill. Morning Patricia with regard to refugees and no rim room at the inn we've no room in this country anymore we're, fu- we're full I imagine the world over has heard by now that we are full, but yet some of these asylum seekers still insist on coming. The government needs to stop it a while to get availability ready as sleeping on the streets is not an option for any humans, says Elizabeth. And remember, when the department are saying that there's no room for asylum seekers that doesn't include Ukrainians because the Ukrainians are fleeing the war so they're fleeing for a very uh, different uh, reason but those who are seeking international protection those that have been uh, arriving those that arrived yesterday and those that will be arriving over the next few days are simply been told as soon as, soon as they arrive that there's no accommodation now I was reading earlier that they are been told that they could be up to four days before they'll hear about accommodation which is slightly better than what we initially heard that they were going to be told they wouldn't hear anything of accommodation until the middle of the next at month. The City West has closed. Now uh, they've reached full uh, capacity and in the first 15 days of this year, 1,500 people arrived in Ireland seeking shelter and safety. So, uh, to Elizabeth, no, the message doesn't seem to be getting out to people that we literally have nowhere to go. I know Jack White in the Irish Examiner was talking to one uh, 24-year-old man who arrived from South Africa on Tuesday looking for international uh, protection and uh, that man said, they don't have any accommodation for me. I've been I've got to find my own place uh, to sleep. And when he was asked where was he uh, going to sleep, he said he was talking with another man on the plane into Ireland and they were going to try and find a doorstep uh, to sleep in, a doorway to sleep uh, in. Um, and he said that they got no advice. They were asked they have to look out for themselves. And he said he was worried and he stressed because I'm arriving into Ireland, particularly from South Africa, he said it's very cold uh, here. And there's actually a sign on the door on the IPO office, that's the International Protection Office, that said support may be available in the form of food and showers only at the Capuchin Day Centre. And then they give the address of the Capuchin Day Centre in Dublin. And then the Capuchin Day Centre in Dublin, I saw their manager, Alan Bailey, uh, said they were told to expect uh, an influx they normally give breakfast to around uh, 200 people and they hand out dinners to homeless people between five and 600 uh, people but he said he is expecting now that that number is going to greatly increase uh, if these people who are looking for international protection arrive and they've been told to sleep on the streets. He said the last time it happened they were sleeping at the airport and then they were coming into the Capuchin Day Centre for showers and meals and he said that worked out well but now they don't have that option this time they literally have to sleep on the uh, streets. Uh, but also the centre they do receive money from the government about four. Four hundred thousand, but the cost of running the Capogean Day Centre every year costs about four million. Uh, so they're going to need extra money if they're expected now to try and look after people. The additional people are going to be on uh, the uh, streets now. NASC, that's the Migration and Refugee Rights uh, Centre. Fiona Hurley is their chief executive. She says it was a a deep failing that we've reached this point to tell people they'll have to sleep on the streets. He said, she said, these are some of the worst conditions that we have ever seen for international protection applicants coming into Ireland. She said it is something that would have to, would have been unimaginable even a year ago that we would be openly stating that people coming here are going to have to sleep on the streets. Fiona Hurley acknowledged the enormous pressure, though, that the government is under before saying the state has a legal obligation to provide accommodation for people who are claiming international protection. And she said they're currently in breach of that by turning people away. Those without accommodation are also restricted in terms of trying to access homeless services. Although hopefully the further accommodation, she's hopeful that that will become available in the coming days and uh, weeks. And she's now calling for temporary measures to be put in place. She said otherwise, I think we're going to see a lot of people on our streets. And she said that is exceptionally dangerous and that's going to be a humanitarian crisis. We already have uh, Irish people who for whatever reason don't want to use homeless shelters and end up sleeping on the street. And you add to that, if you're going to uh, going to put another group of people who are being forced to sleep on the, the streets, it could get exceptionally dangerous and will be a humanitarian crisis. Something has to be done about that. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103 and don't forget um, oh no we're not I was going to say we're looking for pet questions we're not looking for pet questions um, because uh, Jane is on a bit of a break she will be back with us thinking in two weeks two weeks time uh, so so pet questions I can see a few of them coming in uh, not this week uh, sadly The C103
4: Cork Diary with Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie.
3: Kildallery Community Weekly Lotto Draw that's taking place in the community office this afternoon at four. They've got a jackpot of 7,000 euro. Ducas and Clannacilty are holding their first lecture of 2023. It's on tonight at eight in the local GAA pavilion. Brian O'Donovan, RTE's former Washington correspondent, will give an illustrated talk entitled Divided States of America. My four years in Washington, mission five euro. Uh, on the night and of course brian's father jim was a native of ardfield so he'll recall some of the issues he reported on during a tumultuous time for the united uh, states there is kaylee sets a uh, plan for the marion hall in ballon tomorrow night half past nine music by ger murphy and admission 10 euro including teas and the lakala Mallow men's shed will hold their annual flag day this saturday in Mallow town you're asked to please support this community group for the great work that they continue to do all year round.
0: Cork Today on C103.
4: With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie This
0: is Cork Today on C103.
4: Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c 103ie dot okay,
3: Some of your texts coming in, uh, we spoke I spoke with Norian yesterday who was attacked by the vicious pigeon. Well, Martin and Famoy says, I was attacked by three pigeons. It happened about five years ago. I was helping a swallow to get out of my garden and a pigeon pecked my right cheek actually very close to my right eye ended up having to get four stitches at the same time two other pigeons attacked my left hand and ended up getting three stitches on one of my hands so pigeons do attack there you go (laughs) hopefully you've fully recovered Martin thank you for that regarding the ambulance service in West Cork that we spoke about earlier the bypass procedures of the hospitals is uh, is not accepting patients from an ambulance is not the decision of the driver the paramedics Uh, it's uh, to take not, you need to bypass Mallow and uh, Bantry, it's a directive, they have no choice. Regarding the rapid response car in West Cork, it was 24 7 for a time according to this texter and then ambulance management started to redeploy the staff from the car to cover holidays and sick leave around Cork and Kerry this happened one day in four last year and your reporter, well our reporter was local Doll Deputy for West Cork, Michael Collins, said the ambulance uh, the ambulance will lose good staff if this continues well, they have already lost a high number of staff countrywide already from burnout and stress, and people saying that they've had enough. And Winnie said, 100% agree with Deputy Michael Collins on your programme this morning. A friend of mine had a fall in their home in Bantry. Happened at about five o'clock in the afternoon. Needed to call the ambulance, which I have to say arrived promptly. Got amazing care from the ambulance staff. Because of that bypass rule, she was taken straight to CUH. No mention, no consideration given to taking her to Bantry, even though the local injury clinic was open and staffed until 7.30. The patient then spent the night on a trolley in a packed A&E department and the ambulance was tied up until after 10pm that night. That meant that West Cork was unnecessarily minus one of their ambulance for that length of time. Patient eventually had an x-ray. Guess what? Nothing broken, thankfully. But this could easily have been done in ba- at the Bantry local injury unit, which was five minutes away from her house. She'd have been back at her own home within the hour and the ambulance would have been available for somebody else who needed assistance. That's from uh, Winnie and that kind of really sums up. What is currently wrong uh, with that situation for sure? Thank you for that. Uh, we need to 0862103103. Let me go out to lovely Cape Clear where uh, Michael Cadogan joins me. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Yeah, good
5: afternoon, Professor.
3: Uh, you've a bit of a problem on Cape Clear with your phones. Tell me what's happening.
9: We have indeed. We, are, we, we have no landline since the 25th of November. I do understand that we get a a severe flash of lightning, which did an awful lot of to both the aircraft and, and the ESP. But, I mean, it is ridiculous to think that it takes that length of time, that's nine weeks or something, to and that's not repaired yet. I mean, we got dates after a long struggle. We got dates saying the 13th of January and out to the, the 2nd of February or something. But, like, I mean, their for are, are between five and nine days, or between two and five days, sorry, between five, two and five days. Now I understand maybe that access to Cape Fear mightn't be as handy as that all the time. But, I mean, if we went to look back at the ESP, they had their operation back up and running in, in past eight hours. So there may be little bits and pieces that they hadn't done, but, I mean, I cannot understand why telecom... No, they have repaired some of the phones, but there's quite a few old fellows that have uh, B&Bs and various different things are still out. So...
3: Still, yes. so tw- 25th of November and where are we at we're at the 26th of uh, January so we're now over two months it was it was exactly for, for the 25th of November uh, a month before Christmas we're a month after Christmas now and you're still without your phone lines seems an excessive right. like, period of time have, you would
9: have people ringing you and saying why you're answering the phone and these various different things like that. it would get as far as getting your mobile you know Yeah. so I I, I I I honestly think I suppose what's after happening, I I would imagine anyway, is that we have certainly taken the the, the poll from the local people, you know, the people that would normally be doing the jobs around here since it's gone into a central operation somewhere. And maybe maybe if you ask them where Cape Fear was, they might, probably mightn't even
3: know where it was. You know? I, know, I know it's back again, isn't it? It's like the council, with the local man with the shovel knew exactly where the dikes were and the ones that needed to be uh, unblocked. And it would have been the same back in the day. The telephone engineer would have known exactly what needed to be done and who to send.
9: Exactly, exactly. But if other way you would take the central power, let me say, from the problem is the bigger the problem for the, yeah. for the customer.
3: And it's, it's and it's not a case that nobody's been able to get on or off Cape Clear in that two month period.
9: Uh, not at all. I, as I say, I made a kind of comparison there. The ESP had their operations wrapped up in 48 hours. No, they had outstanding bits and pieces which they're still doing. But, like, I mean, to say that they hadn't access would be totally wrong. No, they may not have access every day, but Whoever is doing that job, if you, ring the, if you ring the ferry in the morning and ask him, is there they'll any schedule during the day, they'll be more than happy to tell him. But from 90, 90% of the time since we have, and particularly with the last part, that, uh, Patricia, I mean, you are getting it out with a punt. Yeah,
3: because so, the weather's know, been I nice mean, and calm. But you say some some of the islanders, their phones are back.
9: Oh, they are, yeah. I think that back, back to the essential ones, like the nurse and the cork, one and some of those, the business, the, you know, obviously the nurse is the most important one. Yeah. And then the next one, but for the person on the other end of the line, then that doesn't
3: have, yeah, the yeah. line, but you know, and just, do, And, and not in, not order, to it. In, in order to fix the problem, they physically need to come onto the island, do they? They do. I yeah. understand that,
9: you know, I understand from, 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 but I haven't been talking to him or anything like that, but you used to dealing with. With telecom way back over the years, I managed to keep them going from time to time because I was involved with the ESP and, uh, you know, I've cards and various different things which I can understand or maybe have to get and all. But, like, the problem is, Patricia, you're being told nothing. Okay, uh, IFA or something are handling our operations, all right. But, I mean, telecom have a responsibility. We're a part of the national grid, let me say, or the national, what do call it? I cannot understand. Why the whole thing? Why would look if they can't, if they can't sub escape any better than that? Well, they should be ringing him and saying, Lads, forget it. We can't do nothing for you.
3: And you dare know? I ask, have you received a bill?
9: I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I can tell you one thing I'd be trying get back in the next portion <laughs> money uh, and <laughs> say <saying laughs> well, careful. I need <laughs> <for> the next <laughs>
3: six and, and I would say to anyone, keep an eye on direct debits. that might have gone out and bills paid when you didn't have the okay. phone. Okay. We, we are we going. The back, we the bank account immediately. <laughs> okay. We are going to get on to, to air. Uh, I don't think we'll get anything back for the close of the program today, but hopefully we might get some information. Uh, if not this afternoon, certainly tomorrow. Uh, you had the, the mobile is good and clear though on Cape, Cape Clear. It's
9: probably good mobile and we're we very lucky there is that what do you call them establishing a match to anyone that's eh what do you call know that we, there was an awful lot of coverage out because there was lots of Alaska Cape and you can realize that had much coverage and certainly a lot of the country that you know that they're they're throwing they're in the thing from Cape into in because a lot of the places the hills are to the north of them and killing them so and Anyone that's operating, of course, boats and things, it gave them great great. extra extra coverage.
3: Yeah, it was great. Okay, listen, Michael, thank you for that and, and we'll keep in contact with you, but thanks for joining us. Thanks a little
9: Patricia, for your time and and for for the
3: time. No problem. No problem. Look after yourself and hi to everybody out on uh, beautiful Cape Clear. Let's see if we can get their phone lines back uh, to them. Just on the HSC and the data breach, uh, somebody else has been on to say, uh, because I mentioned to the first gentleman that contacted us, that you can get onto the HSC and you can request, if you want to find out specifically the information that was copied, you can actually request the information uh, of the, you can request copies of the information that relates to you somebody has said and i didn't know this on the hse data breach to get that further information that you spoke about from the hse you must send a passport photograph which at that point they have everything to identify you if covid information was breached then they also have your pps and number i'm very slow to give this to the hse i wrote to the data commissioner for advice but i've heard nothing i wrote a month ago any views please thanking you uh, I I would be very interested to find out from the HSE why they need a passport photograph uh, of you so if you want to check that out with them I would be interested in that the only thing is I wouldn't have that much concern about giving a passport photograph to the HSE because the passport photograph r- relates directly to you so unless they, you have somebody who is identical to you who could claim and use your photograph? You know, you have a, have a, a doppelganger. Uh, I don't think that your, pho- your passport photograph could be used uh, for anything else. But I'm just querying and wondering why the HSC, they've already contacted you, so they know who you are. They know your information was stolen. You want to find out what information was stolen. I get back onto the HSC and say, why are you now looking for a passport photograph of me as well? This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, since Irish Rail suspended its onboard serving of food and drink, and they did it early in the pandemic, many people have been disappointed that the service hasn't returned, and many are wondering why. Sinn Féin Deputy Thomas Gould says it's about time people are able to get some food or a drink while travelling by rail. And uh, Thomas Gould uh, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Thomas.
10: Good afternoon, Patricia. And,
3: and you're welcome. Have you been able to get any explanation from Irish Rail as to why it's taken so long to return catering services to our trains?
10: I have, but first of all, Patricia, I'd like to say that I know on the scale of everything that's going on in people's lives at the moment, this is quite a small issue. But also, I was contacted by people because I get to train every week to Dublin and people ask me, and you're on the station, the are a TD. How come we can't get a bottle of water or a cup of tea when we're going to Dublin when the journey takes almost three hours? And I've written to Irish Rail, I've written to the Minister, and what we've said is... Now, Rail are saying that no private company will come in because the profits they make, they don't make enough of profit. And this was all part of the privatisation agenda going back when Fianna Gale came into power first. They were trying to privatise different sections. And what I'm saying to Irish Rail is, like, Patricia, if you go on, to, if you go to Kent Station today and you get on the train, there's a catering carriage there. The shutters are pulled down on. And I'm saying to them, how hard would it be to hire staff to manage, give them proper jobs, not these kind of part-time, low-wage jobs that these private companies are giving, and reopen the services so people can have a cup of tea, a bottle of water, um, like... I remember as a child going up to Dublin or for all Ireland and things like th- things like that. Going on the train was a great adventure. Your families now, uh, parents are under pressure, older people, and if they don't if they don't have water or if they don't have um, uh, snacks and stuff like that, you know they're waiting a long time to get to the other end. But but can you understand if it's not commercially viable? No, no, they're not saying it's not commercially viable. They're saying. The private companies won't take it on because the profits they make aren't enough. Or oh, so are not enough.
3: All oh, right, okay. So you're, uh, saying, you're saying that Irish Rail run it themselves?
10: Of course. Why wouldn't we? The carriages are there. Like, uh, All the facilities are there the coffee machines, the tea, tea machines, uh, kettles, everything is in, on the train at the moment and it's closed. And the, what I'm saying, like, Patricia, before Christmas, I went to Dublin the train broke down. Now, it took me four hours to get to Dublin, and there was a lot of families, a lot of older people on it. There wasn't a bottle of water there for them. And the people who had travelled from Kerry, from Tralee, had been on the train five hours. And like I contacted them. I said, this isn't good enough. It, it's 2023. Surely, uh, when people are travelling, they should be able to access water or light refreshments. Listen, it's not a big thing on the bigger scale, but for people who use the train, we're trying to get people out of cars and into trains. We're trying to get more tourists, tourists who travel around the country. I like can imagine an American or Europeans now getting on a train, traveling uh, four hours to Kerry or three hours to Cork, and uh, they can't get a bottle of water. Well, it's
3: yes. funny. Um, the... Ken, who does our breakfast show, we were talking about this this morning and he relayed a story. He was coming back from some concert in Dublin and obviously aware that there was no catering on the train. So they got their sandwiches and their bottles of water and whatever. And when they got on the train, an American guy who just arrived into the country flew into Dublin and he was travelling down to Cork he could not believe that he wasn't able to get uh, any, anything to eat. And he didn't know until he got onto the train that there was no catering services. But he was absolutely gobsmacked. And I mean, you know, and we were just and actually Ken offered him half of his sandwich, but the poor man wouldn't take it. But <laughs> it just struck me that like that's his first impression of Ireland was I got on the train after a long journey and I couldn't even get a bottle of water.
10: And to think about it, Patricia, you know yourself, sometimes you're running if you're trying to get ready yourself or get the kids ready or whatever you're trying, and you're running down to the station. No, I know no, you should be pla- you should be prepared and what have you, but, like, the, the actually catering carriage is on the train. It's, like, it's unbelievable. I actually, I sat there Tuesday when it was coming up here, and I was looking at it, and I was saying, how frustrating it must be for people not to be able to... And, like this should be part of the whole experience by traveling by train to encourage more people to do it to encourage more people to kind of even to travel to holiday in Ireland or to use the train like I I have a couple of issues with the train service one of it, one is I think it should be uh, it should be cheaper there should be more frequent and also about catering because we want to get people to use trains we're talking about Um, trying to develop the train service and there are good developments going on but they seem to be very slow but it also goes into this whole privatised agenda that Fianna Gale had brought in. Like in Kent Station at the moment the cafe that's there has been closed three months. Like if that was in Dublin that wouldn't have been allowed to happen.
3: So even at the train station you can't even buy your bits and bring them on the train with you?
10: There's, there's a little shop next to the cafe which is still open, and I queued there the other morning, and I was uh, watching the time so I wouldn't miss the train. And there was there was a there was a big queue in front of me, like if you can't have a cafe, like there there is a cafe. And actually, and sorry, that's
3: up. proving if there was a big queue in front of you, obviously all people trying to get their bits to eat before they got get on the train.
10: It proves that people want this service. Well, you see, Patricia, you know yourself, like I. You'd sit down with a cup of tea and a sandwich or a muffin, and it starts off your journey. And you probably, like I would buy the Echo every day. That's 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 my routine. I would get a cup of tea, uh, a sandwich, and the Echo, and I'd sit in the train, and then I start going through emails and phone messages. And they, so there definitely is. Uh, people want it, and there's definitely a need for it. And like what I'm saying to Irish Rail, this is not rocket science. You shouldn't have a TD. You have to go on to the minister or on radio stations about this. And just to let you know, I was on three different radio stations yesterday, everywhere from Kerry to Dublin to the East Coast. And the amount of people who commute, and like what they were saying to me in Kerry yesterday is exactly what you said about the American tourists. They're getting on the train. And they just can't believe it. It just it makes us it makes us makes us look backwards that uh this in twenty twenty three, you can't get a bottle of water or a sandwich or a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And it, like These are easy, simple things that should be sorted out. And, yeah. move and, on to the and Thomas,
3: I'll I relay what I thought was probably the most heartbreaking story that highlights how important a catering service is on a train. And it was actually Councillor Sean O'Donovan out of Bandon uh, told us this story on air uh, a couple of months ago. He was travelling to Dublin and as he was travelling came out of West Cork up into the city Kent station got on the train and he said there was an elderly couple and they were just chatting you know passing the time of day they were on the early train as well and they happened to be on the same train on the way back down so he was asking how did your day go and whatever and they because he started realising that they were a little bit upset so they they started to explain that the reason that they'd made the journey to Dublin was their grandson was in palliative care and he was dying it was end of life and they were going up to have their final goodbye with their grand, with their grandson and they got on the train and the woman said what well, I wouldn't give for a cup of tea and yes. Sean said he realised there's no catering on the train He even when they stopped at the next stop he tried to see could he get off to get her a cup of tea but there wasn't time and now I know it was a simple thing but just for that poor woman I just thought oh my god it just really shows how important a simple thing like the catering on the train the difference it can mean to somebody
10: and, Patricia, like, a lot of people, unfortunately, have to travel to Dublin for stuff like that and for hospital appointments. And, like, I know a lot of people know with we, children who are going up and down to Crumlin and different hospitals. And, like, e- it's a, it, even a small thing like that, to get a, a, a cup of tea for the parent or maybe a bottle of juice for the child and you sit down in the train. L- listen, it's... It's, it's only a small thing in the greater scale of things, but for those people on those days. Um it makes a difference. It does, and it does. And it, it
3: can be a simple enough solution. The other question that's coming in, uh, Thomas, are there signs in all of the train stations warning people that there's no catering services on board so that people will be able to purchase uh, items before they board, particularly tourists? Have you
10: seen any other si- signs up? No, no, I haven't. I haven't seen any signs up. And uh, I, I, use this, I use the train every week when I go to Dublin. That's the way I travel up. And it's... Um, no, it's disappointing, but there shouldn't be a need for a sign. They should have the sort like this is only a this is a this is a one person probably operation on each train. That's all you're talking about. Someone, this is just like a cafe, but it's on the train. So, to to me, Irish Rail, Irish Real and the minister are are kind of. Like I cannot understand why they would do it, but the other side I do know because they don't wanna take on any more staff, they don't wanna pay any more workers, they wanna to try to privatise it out, uh, people with kinda of low contract, minimum wage. Like we're after moving beyond that now. And I think there's an onus on Irish Rail and the Minister to instruct them. To, to go in and provide the service because it's going on too
3: long. All right, here's a really good point as well in from Anne-Marie says, if the train was delayed, and you cited an example of the train uh, being delayed, if a person has type 1 diabetes while on board and there's an unavailability of food containing carbohydrates, it could result in hypoglycemia, which can be a life-threatening situation. That is very concerning. Thank you for discussing what is a very important um, uh, issue. So th- there's a health implication there.
10: Well, can I say, Patricia, I'm a, I'm a type 2 diabetic when I'm on the edge, you know, um, yeah. one or two. And I, I know what that lady's talking about. Sometimes I would suffer with low blood sugars and I could get, uh, you you could nearly, you could collapse, well, you get very tired. You, you could need nod off or even... You, you know, it, it, it has that effect when your blood sugars go that low, and I know that from my own personal experience. It's happened for me on and, and a few occasions, you know. Has so it? that's why I would always carry stuff. Yeah. But like yeah. for people with type one diabetes, who I I would have a good few friends, unfortunately, who has it. Like they would always go around with something on them, because. It was, but sometimes, sometimes you, you can just get cut you get out. I mean, you like that. Hurry, You're not yeah. expecting a train to break down.
3: If you think, oh, yes. I'm going to be home, I'll be OK, and then suddenly the train breaks down. Someone else is saying, well done to Tom School for highlighting this. Uh, there'll be a much bigger problem if the, in, with hot weather in the summertime, particularly if a train breaks down. And, we, and, and Irish Rail can't tell us that no train is ever going to break down.
10: And can I say, Patricia, like, to be fair to the staff in Irish Rail, right, I found them excellent. Uh, and they're very rarely, in my experience, uh, they're normally on time. But this incident before Christmas was a major breakdown. I think we, I think it took me four hours to get to Dublin, which was the next hour and a quarter or 20 minutes. And like th- that lady there who said it was the summer. When you see the hot weather we had last year, mm. the, and you're travelling in the carriage full of people. Now, for the first two years of COVID, I was going up and down to Dublin. The carriages were virtually empty. But no, the trains are packed. Yeah, the they, are, they are, are which is, which is great.
3: It is great. And the final one in, Anthony says, I miss the days of the train with the trolley. You get a cup of tea in a Danish. <laughs> uh, he says, I, I, I hope it returns, especially on a cold day. You'd actually be looking forward to it. OK, thanks for that, Anthony. Listen, Thomas, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning thank you for it, Patricia uh, bye bye that is uh, Sinn Féin uh, TD Deputy Thomas Gould the Premier League live on C103.ie taking a break this week but it returns Saturday February the 4th powered by talk Sport. Trevor will be back with all the action from the Premier League that's the uh, live online with Harvey Norman your home of the big screen returning on Saturday February 4th that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you for the final one of the week tomorrow morning at 10 until then I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103
4: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
6: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.